0: Today's scripture reading comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vanity, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of, the, the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God raised him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, so, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out of your salvation with fear and trembling, because it is God who works in you in order to fulfill God's purpose.
1: So last week in Sunday school, we were talking a little bit about what makes Presbyterians like rules so much. Um, Why do we like rules so much? I mean, we have a whole book full of rules that we follow, right, called The Book of Order, and every once in a while, Della makes me follow it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we do our best to follow The Book of Order because it's rules that we've all agreed to live by. Um, And we were talking about why Presbyterians like rules. And... um, It made me laugh because uh, when I was uh, learning how to be a minister, I was in minister school. Um, We had a meeting with the CPM, and we were talking about something, and the, the head of the committee said, Presbyterians like to do things decently in order, and... Younger Liz was not as tactful as older Liz, and I laughed really loud, and um, he got mad at me. And (laughs) I don't know why it tickled me at that point. I don't know, because I was anarchic in 22, I don't know. Um, But we do, we really like to do things decently and in order, and sometimes that can be a little frustrating. But we got to talking in Sunday school about why rules are a good thing why these rules are so necessary for Presbyterians. You see, at the central core of what makes us unique as a denomination is the idea that we can disagree with each other. That you don't have to agree with the person who's sitting next to you. You don't have to, you don't have to follow the exact same rules. You don't have to follow the exact same thought pattern. You don't have to believe the same thing as the person next to you. And in fact, Presbyterians have always said that diversity of opinion is a good thing. That it's a good thing that we don't all agree. And so these rules, what they do is they help us disagree with each other nicely. Now, that doesn't always work. <laughs> um, sometimes we just don't follow the rules, but, and sometimes the rules are actually get in the way of us disagreeing nicely, but the idea is that if we can get together and talk about things, if we can share honestly and openly with one another, if we can acknowledge that difference is a good thing, all of us are stronger for it. And it doesn't just go with maybe the person who's sitting next to you, though if that's your spouse, you may disagree with them more often than others. But it goes with each other in the pew, front and behind you, and sometimes, this will shock you, that goes with me, right? One time pretty early on in my ministry, somebody, I preached this whole sermon on um, Joshua's conquering of the, the land and how community was important. What it showed us was that being part of a community was important. And somebody came up to me after the sermon and said, that was the best sermon I have ever heard about the Iraq War. Now, it was 2012-ish, 10, 12, and I didn't say the word Iraq once. I didn't say the word war once. I didn't talk at all about, there was, I mean, I have no idea where this came from. She said, you know, I don't always agree with what you're saying, and you may not like that very much. And I said, no, I don't, ex- I don't expect you to agree with me about everything. We're in this together, right? I'm gonna grow, you're gonna grow, all of us are gonna grow, and we're gonna learn together. And my goal always was, I said, for you just to think about God a little bit more. So, you know, it's cool. You can agree with me 100%. That would be great for my ego. (laughs) But we're actually stronger as a community of faith when we don't all agree with each other. And I say this because that is a profoundly countercultural thing to say in our world What we've done is, over time, become more and more isolated into our bubble of people who agree with us 100% of the time. We only read articles that already agree with whatever it is that we think. Or we only watch news channels that already agree 100% whatever we think and make us feel good because we're really right about whatever the issue might be. Because the person on TV is saying it, so I must be right. or on social media where we only uh, the algorithms are set up to show us things that already confirm what we believe about an issue. They've done studies on this, and it shows that the algorithms are designed to make you more extreme about what you already believe. So if you happen to wrongly be a Cleveland Browns fan, like some people in this room, <laughs> it's gonna feed you <laughs> You two are not allowed to hang out with each other anymore. <laughs> it's going to feed you articles that make you a harder, more, more enthusiastic Browns fan, if that was possible, right? And all of the, all of the advertisements you're going to get are going to be for Cleveland Browns can koozies or pennants or whatever. And while that's relatively harmless when we're talking about the Cleveland Browns, relatively harmless... It's really, really harmful when we're talking about almost everything else. Because if we can't hear what the other person is saying, if we don't know what their story is, if we are never exposed to things that make us think more deeply about what we believe, then it makes us weaker as people. If we're never exposed to stories from a different perspective, then how can we ever understand the majestic, the wonder, wonderful nature of the idea that Jesus died for all people? You see, it limits the miracle of God. If Jesus only dies for the people that I like or the people whose stories that I identify with, then that makes Jesus a really small God. And if I can only be in faith with somebody else, if I can only talk to somebody else who already agrees with me, then that makes us really insecure And the idea that God died for everyone. The first time that I encountered this idea, this idea of hearing stories, was when I was 17 and I was a counselor at a camp. And I um, <laughs> This person came, he was an exchange student from Yugoslavia. And this was like in 1997, 98. So they just had a major war, right? Major civil war in Yugoslavia. And he came over and he was from Sarajevo, which was like urban town, like big city in Yugoslavia. And he came over to America and he landed in the middle of West Virginia. He learned English by listening to the Wu-Tang Clan. (laughs) Um, And so his picture of America was, Inner city, New York City. And they landed, God bless him, in the middle of coal country, West Virginia, and didn't have any idea what was happening. This wasn't the America he knew from the Wu-Tang Clan records. And I began to listen to his story, his story of going through that war and what it was like for him and how he had to choose whether or not he could be friends anymore with his neighbor. This kid he'd grown up with his whole life who happened to be Muslim. And then they had this civil war, and all the Muslims left, and all the Christians isolated themselves over here, and he never talked to his friends again. And he was sitting at this fire, and he was, he was talking about how deeply that had wounded him. And he had come to America hoping to discover a new way, a new idea, because he'd heard that America was the land of the free, where people could talk to one another where we were allowed to hear each other's stories. He said, I go to church every week, and I believe in Jesus, and what he taught me was that God's love is big enough, that God's love is big enough that I can disagree with you and we can still be friends. God's love is big enough that I don't have to believe what you believe and we can still be friends. And I really wonder, in the end, if we don't make all of this too complicated, if what Paul isn't telling us in this letter is that all we need to know is that Jesus is king, that Jesus chose to come as a baby and become God with us, the God who knows what it is to be human, and at the end, all we need to believe is that that is true. That God is with us. That if all of us can believe that God is love, God is present with us in the midst of whatever it is that's causing us war and strife and disease and famine and all of that, if God is in the midst of that, maybe that's all we need to know. Maybe that's all we really need to agree on in the end. God is with us. God is king. If we can hold that truth central in our hearts, then maybe we can hear stories that can open up our minds. Maybe we can hear stories that open up our our ability to disagree and to love one another in the same breath. God is with us. Amen. Amen.